Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here today. And before we go into the Word this morning, I'd like to just tell you about something that I personally am getting very excited about. The leadership here is getting very excited about. What I'm talking about is on September 16th, we are venturing out into a brand new endeavor. We are starting Saturday night services here um, on that day, and it's going to be a great thing. You can clap too. I'm with you. We can clap. This is really exciting. I just want to take just, just a few moments of your time here before we jump in and just kind of tell you a little bit about Saturday nights and what we're hoping to see get accomplished there, why we're doing it, all of those things. You're going to be hearing a lot about it, and then you know, we've got another five more weekends to go before we get there. But um, I'll tell you, we're excited about it because we just feel like there's a lot of people here in our community that can't go to church on Sunday but would love to if they had another option. And so a few years ago, I feel like the Lord kind of started working on our hearts and we began to pray about this and, and as our church began to grow and began to have a better understanding of what some of the needs are and, and then it became more pressing and it was like, maybe I think the Lord wants us to do this. And so we're just excited. We feel like there's just a lot of people would love to go to church on, 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 on Sunday but can't, would come and there's a lot of different needs and if there was just another option available that uh, it would just open more doors for more people to hear the good news. And, and that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to make it as easily available to people to, to be a part of a church like, like this. I can tell you where my heart began to shift and change quite a bit about this idea. It was about nine months ago, we were at our chili cook-off. How many of you were at the chili cook-off nine months ago? Okay, a, a few of you. Um, we, we're going to do it again in November. Uh, we always celebrate something big at our chili cook-off, and, and I can tell you right now, what we're celebrating at our chili cook-off this November is huge. Okay, not to sound like our president, but it's huge. All right, so it, it's going to be huge. And, and I was just off the cuff. I wasn't thinking about that. And, um, and so that's actually the first time I've ever impersonated the president before. Anyway, it's going to be big. It's going to be big. I, yeah, I promise. Anyway, uh, all right, where was I? And so anyway, this, at the Chili Cook-Off last year, so nine months ago, um, we just kind of threw this question out there to the 300-plus people that were there. And I asked this question, hey, if we had a Saturday night service right now, how many of you would choose that as your service of choice? And I was kind of surprised because like 30 hands went up right away without even thinking about it. But that's not what struck out to me the most, stuck out to me the most on that night. I looked onto the back wall of our auditorium, and there were four firemen standing there. Now, these are firemen that we invited to be the judges of our chili cook-off, because quite honestly, who could better judge a chili cook-off than a group of firemen? And when I asked everybody there who would come if we had one, one of those four firemen raised his hand. He was the first one up. And I just felt very strongly in that moment, Lord impressed by my heart. It's like, that's why. That's why. Because there's a lot of people that would love to be a part of a church like this, but can't. But they could if there was another opportunity. So we're going to step out on faith, and we're going to see what the Lord's going to do with this. That's going to start on September 16th. And here's what I would like to, to ask of you, and this is why I'm kind of talking about right now. In your bulletin, there's this card right here. And I would appreciate if you just took a moment and pulled this out. On the front of it, it just says our new service times. Um, nothing changes on Sunday morning. This is only an addition of a Saturday evening. 
But what we would love to know, if you could provide us with this information, if you've already been thinking about this and you've talked to your family, maybe you've already talked about this with your spouse, and I know some of you have already told me this leading up to today, but you already know, it's like, hey, the day they launch Saturday nights, that's the Sunday I'm going to, that's the service I'm going to be at. If you already know, would you let us know? This will help us plan. You know, you know, we can't predict everything, but we would love to know how many of you from one of our three Sunday morning services are going to be choosing that service instead. That would help us immensely. So just sit, check yes or no, sign your name, drop in the offering basket or drop it off at the welcome table on your way out of here today, and that would, that would give us some much-needed information, very helpful information. So but you're going to start seeing uh, stuff come across social media. You're going to see things in print. You're going to see things around our community to try to get the word out. And I would just like to ask you, if, as the Lord gives you opportunity, tell your friends, tell your coworkers about the church. Tell them about our new Saturday night services coming up and invite them to come. That would be fantastic. Hey, we'll tell you a lot more about it, but would you join me in a word of prayer? We'd like to just really be praying about this. We believe God's going to do something special. So we could just pray together uh, before we go to the word. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to lay this before you. We believe, Lord, that you are leading us in this direction. And of course, Lord, we don't know the outcome, but we trust you. And we trust, Lord, you're going to do something with it. And I would just pray, God, even right now, um, that you would just start opening hearts and opening homes and opening minds of people who would love to be a part of a church like this but just can't but when they find out there's a saturday night service lord they'll be so drawn to want to be a part of something like this lord i would just pray that you would help us as a church family to be able to reach farther with the good news than we had before and lord we would pray that through our evangelistic efforts on saturday nights that lord you would use that to bring more and more people into a saving relationship with you. Lord, we pray for this, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would keep praying for that, we'd appreciate it. Saturday nights are going to be identical to Sunday morning. So it's going to be the same worship. It's going to be the same preaching. It's going to be the same exciting children's ministry. It's going to be the same. So I hope you'll, do, hope you'll be a part of encouraging others to be a part of it too. Well, if this is your first time with us today, I hope you know we are studying through the story, which is our um, uh, a way of saying we're studying through the entire Bible. To help us do this, we are using this resource right here called The Story. And what this is, it's large portions of the Bible, word for word, arranged chronologically and, and, and put into 31 chapters. It's designed to read from the first chapter to the end. And if you will do that, then you will have a really good understanding of what the story is that runs from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible. And we are on chapter 16 today. And if after today, you're like, hey, I want to do that. That sounds great. I want to be a part of the story. Well, then here's what I'd like to encourage you to do. Before you leave here today, stop at our welcome table and grab your own copy of the story. It's our gift to you. It's also our invitation for you to come back and do this with us. All you got to do is start reading. That's it. Go home today. Start at chapter one. Start reading. And you know what? In no time, you'll be caught up with where we are in chapter 16. Now, for those of you that are very ambitious and reading's not enough, you can go to our website at, at newlifenwa.com and there you'll find the first 15 sermons for this series. And if you're really ambitious and want to watch them, you can. When I'm having trouble sleeping at night, I'll turn one on just to help and usually it puts me right to sleep. So anyway, 
You're welcome to do that. We'd love for you to, to, to join us in any way, shape, or form. All right. Hey, please turn over to chapter 16 if you haven't done that yet. Um, chapter 16 covers the parts of the Bible that are found in 2 Kings chapter 17 and 18 and also 2 Chronicles chapter 32. So while you're finding your way to chapter 16, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever seen the Grand Canyon with your own eyes? Have you seen it? All right. A couple years ago, my wife and kids and I, we made a trip out to the Grand Canyon and it blew me away because, I mean, I've seen hundreds of pictures of the Grand Canyon, but those of you that have been there, pictures only tell part of the story, doesn't it? Until you've seen it with your own eyes, you just, it, it's just not the same. Well, we visited one of the gift shops around the Grand Canyon, and I've talked about this book before, but I bought a book at one of the gift shops called Death in the Grand Canyon. It is a strange book, and it's a fascinating book at the same time. And like I said, if you've been around here a while, I've, I've talked about this book before. I've shared some things about it. But, but what it is, is these, these two guys, the two authors, they have gone back in history and they've researched every single death in the Grand Canyon. And this goes way back to the early 1800s. And what they did was they shared their stories of how these people lost their lives in the Grand Canyon. And I know what you're thinking. That's awfully morbid, isn't it? That sounds, and I guess on some levels it maybe is from some points of view. But the authors tell you right in the introduction of the book that they're not trying to be strange with this, but here's what they believe. That many people go to the Grand Canyon thinking that it's an amusement park. I mean, you go in there and there's a perception of danger, but they don't like Six Flags, you know? Well, you're not really in any danger. But the truth is, if you've been to the Grand Canyon, it's been time, that's a very dangerous place. It can be. Not in the gift shop where I bought the book, but other parts of the Grand Canyon. So they wrote this book cataloging every death in the Grand Canyon because they believe that if you can help people be informed, help them understand the mistakes that other people have made, then you won't repeat them. It's a survival guide is what it is. In other words, don't do what these people have done. And if you'll do the, the opposite, you'll be just fine and you won't die in the Grand Canyon like they did. And it's a fascinating book. And as you read through it, you learn very quickly what the number one cause of death in the Grand Canyon is, according to these two authors. The number one reason people die in the Grand Canyon is because they ignore the warning signs. That's it. That's the number one reason. They ignore the warning signs. They go where they're not supposed to go. They do things they're not supposed to do. And they're ill-prepared to do any of it. You know, in chapter 16 of the story, the nation of Israel, who we've been studying about, is essentially having the exact same problem. They are ignoring the warning signs that God has been giving them for almost 200 years. They're getting closer and closer to the edge. And we've seen in chapter 15 and now in chapter 16 that God has sent special messengers time and time again. We read about Elijah and Elisha and Amos and Hosea and, 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 uh, and, Jose and Isaiah and others who we don't even know about their, their, their names. God has sent messenger after messenger with warning after warning. But Israel just keeps getting closer to the edge. And what chapter 16 is all about, it's about Israel finally going off the edge. 
That's what this chapter is about. And here's what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. It'll be on the screen behind me. It won't be in your storybooks. But this is what it says about this time. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Do you understand what's going on? God has tried and tried and tried over and over again to get the attention of his chosen people. And they've ignored and they've ignored and they have ignored. And now the wrath of God was aroused and there was no remedy. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And you leave me no choice. That's what we're reading here. All God ever wanted was to have this incredible relationship with his creation, to to have this this relationship where wickedness was not a part of it, and they could be, God could be their God, and, and these people could be his people, and they would be this incredible reflection of what it looks like to be God's chosen people. But they would not turn from their wicked ways. They would not turn from worshiping idols. And they became an improper reflection of who God truly was. And now, God's saying, I have to act. Now, look on page 220. This is what happens next. This is 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 11. It says this, they did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshiped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. And we've read that many times, haven't we? God's given time, don't do it. They did it. The Lord warned Israel and Judah. Now, remember, these two, the, the kingdom uh, of Israel, God's chosen, they've been torn into two nations. You have Israel and Judah. That's why it says both. But it's God's chosen. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all of his prophets and seers, turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees. In accordance with the entire law, I have commanded your ancestors to obey and that I have delivered to you through my servants and prophets. But they would not listen. And were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria, and they are still there. The Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. Do you understand what's going on in these few short verses? This is Israel going off the cliff. Ignoring all the warning signs, and now they're in a free fall to their death. This is what this is describing. According to the Bible, God allowed another nation, the Assyrians, to come in to Israel and defeat all of its citizens. Many of them were killed. The rest of them were deported back to Assyria. And just like that, Israel, the northern kingdom, ceased to exist forever. This is it. This is the end of the north. That's it. That's, they're gone. That's what this is talking about. Best we can tell, the Assyrians, they split the remaining remnant of the northern tribes. They split them up. They sent them to various cities in, in Assyria. They all intermarried, and they eventually lost all their cultural identities. And after a generation or two, they're just 
gone. This moment, this group, these northern tribes, they're often referred to in history as the lost tribes of Israel. We are never going to hear from them again. They're gone. And that's what happens when you ignore the warning signs of God. You get closer and closer and closer to the cliff, and eventually, I promise, eventually, you're going to fall off. So now all that's left of God's chosen people is this small, little, tiny remnant, if you will, from the tribe of Judah. This is the, the, all that's left of God's chosen people. They're in the south. And at this time um, in history, they're being led by a guy named King Hezekiah. Now, let me just give you a little historical details here because it is important to understanding the story. There's been about 208 years um, gone by since the kingdom of Israel was torn in two. So they split apart, you know, and, and, and about 208 years has gone by. In that 208 years, Israel and Judah has had 38 different kings between them. And the Bible tells us that only about five of them were any good at all. Five out of the 38, the Bible says anything good or positive about, or this king followed the Lord, or this one did. Most of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but this is a different season, and this is a different leader, because Hezekiah is not like the kings before him. Hezekiah actually stopped, and he listened to all the warnings that God had been sending. He listened to God's messengers, and Hezekiah committed himself to be the kind of man and the kind of leader that God always desired for his people. Now on page 220 at the bottom into page 221, this is what it says about Hezekiah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. This is a reference back to King David going back quite a ways. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Finally, there's some good news for the people of God. Have you been tired of getting all the bad news? Because it's felt like for several weeks it's just bad, bad, bad. And it has been. But right now we have this moment where there is a different kind of leader who has pointed the children of God back to God. And he began to do so by tearing down all of their idols and all of their places of worship and said, no more of that. And, and I can guarantee you that was not an easy thing to do. This is a man who inherited the leadership from his father, who was a wicked king, and all the people of Israel were following idols. And he came in and destroyed them all. And it doesn't seem like he asked permission. I can imagine the counselors, and I can imagine the advisors that he inherited from his father's kingdom. And I can imagine they all said, hey, Hezekiah, you don't want to do that. Let's not get all crazy. Let's not get all, um, you know, political here. You, you need to finesse this a little bit. That's not Hezekiah. He's like, absolutely not. He listened to the God's messengers, and he got, away, got rid of all of the idols. He had to stand up for what was right. And to me, that's a leader. That's God's man. And you know what? Every single one of us in this room, whether you realize it or not, is a leader every single one of us is leading someone some 
where? Someone else in this world looks to you for spiritual leadership. Someone looks to you for guidance in faith. And this may be news to you, but I promise you there is someone. So what kind of leader do you want to be for that person? I think maybe that's what Hezekiah thought too. He's the leader of God's people. What kind of leader is he going to be? Well, I can tell you what we read about in chapter 16. He is going to be a leader that that loves the Lord, and he's going to stand up to the king of Assyria. Yeah, the same one that just wiped out all the tribes to the north. Now, understand this. Having been been in that land now and kind of walked this area, Um, It wasn't like there's an army way off in another place that we heard about. No, 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 no. This is an army that the Bible says had 185,000 soldiers camped around the hills around Jerusalem where Judah was. This isn't some distant. This This is a mighty force that's coming to get them. They just wiped out all the 10 tribes and Judah is next on the hit list. They are determined to take over the entire holy land. And here's little old Judah led by King Hezekiah saying, I am not going to bow down to you. Have you seen the movie Hoosiers? Is, is, that, is that movie familiar? Have you seen Hoosiers? I was in Walmart here a while back and I was going to buy that movie and I thought surely Walmart would have Hoosiers. And so I couldn't find it on the shelves. And so one of the, the young ladies that was working in the electronics, I, I said, hey, excuse me, do you guys have the movie Hoosiers? She goes, never heard of it. I never heard of it. It's only like one of the greatest movies, sports movies of all times. So what do you mean you never heard of Hoosiers? And she goes, let me check my book. So we went over to the counter and she opened up her book and she goes, yeah, I don't see Hoosiers and I don't think we sell it. And I'm like, oh man, what's well, like, came out like 1986 it was i mean it was a great movie she goes oh i wasn't even born till 96 <laughs> i'm having more and more of those moments all the time hoosiers it's the movie uh, gene hackman's it's a movie it's it's kind of based loosely on some true events but it's a, it's a town of Hickory, Indiana. It's a small farming community. And uh, they just had this special group of guys that played basketball. And they just kept winning. And this was back in a day where you could have a small school that could eventually make themselves go all the way to the, the state championship. And so the, there's this line in the movie where one of the parents says, Well, most of these boys haven't even seen a building over two stories tall. It's, it's a very small place. Well, if you know the movie, they, they keep playing and playing. They, they, they go into the playoffs. They keep beating all these schools. And they finally make it to the state championship. And nobody believed that this little school, this, these little farm kids from little Nowheresville, Indiana, ever had a shot at beating these big city kids from this big school. Well, if you've seen the movie, well, you know, that's exactly what they did. They went and they won the state championships. If you haven't seen it, sorry, I just wasted the movie for you. But you should still see it. When you think of King Hezekiah and the people of Judah, all that's left of God's chosen people, I want you to think of them as the basketball team from the little town of Hickory and from the movie Hoosiers. That's who we're talking about. And when you think about the Assyrians and their 185,000 strong army, well, that's the big school. That's the city kids. That's the ones that's supposed to come in and mop the floor with them. 
That's what we're talking about here. This is the Hoosiers against this, this huge city school. There's no way that Judah has the strength. There's no way that they have the might to stand up to this incredibly strong army. But don't forget, this is a unique season in Judah's history. They are actually following the Lord when all of this takes place. They are being led by a king who loves God and has destroyed all the idols and has pointed the people to worship God alone. That's the difference. So here's what happens. Look on page 223. This is 2 Kings chapter 19. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord... Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. And I don't want to pass over this too quick. This is the king praying to the king. Do you see that? This is the king praying to the one who is the king of everything. Hezekiah knows his place. He knows who he is. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your ear, eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. You've got to read the other parts of this to understand who he was. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only wood and stone fashioned by humans' hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord God. Do you hear his prayer? They have been enduring for a long time all the taunts and the, and, the, and, the, and the mental warfare that's been going on. The Assyrians have been taunting the people of Judah. Don't listen to your king. He's falsely leading you to safety. You come be with us. We'll give you shelter. We'll give you good food. And Hezekiah hears all this and he turns to God in prayer. And he knows if we're going to survive this, it's going to come not from little old us. It's going to come from something much stronger. And that stronger is God. Now Hezekiah doesn't have to wait very long to get an answer because he prays this prayer to God. And God tells the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah, here's my answer to King Hezekiah. Now you go tell him my answer. This is one of God's messengers. This is one of those guys that, that King Hezekiah has chosen to listen to in the warnings. And so he prays, and God says, Isaiah, go tell Hezekiah my answer. And here's the answer. It's on page 223. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. How good of news is that? Now think about it. They're around the city. They're ready to attack. And here, God's messenger says, not going to happen. He will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. God has basically told King Hezekiah, don't you worry about it. I've got this. I've got it. Don't sweat this massive army that's encamped all around you. They're on all sides. You don't worry about it because I've got this. And when God tells him that I've got it, it changes everything about Hezekiah. Isn't it a good feeling to know that God's got this? Have you experienced it? 
Do you walk in relationship with your heavenly Father at such a deep level that it does not matter what you encounter, you know God's got this. But how many times have we also had those times, those moments, where we would never say it, but our actions communicate, you know what, Lord, don't worry about it. I have got this. Have you been there? Have you ever gone into a relationship and what you communicated was, I don't need you right now, God. I have got this. Have you ever gone into a job, an important meeting, huge decision, and you communicated back to the Lord with how you behaved? God, I I got this one. Don't you worry about it. Have you ever entered any kind of major decision or anything? And your actions were more like, God, I got this. I, I got this. That's not the kind of relationship God wants with you. What God wants out of his relationship with you is a relationship that says, no matter what I face, no matter how fierce the army is around me, no matter what I come across, Lord, I'm gonna walk with you in a way that says, I'm not going to worry because I know you love me and I know that you've got a plan and I know you've got an upper story and I know you're gonna take care of me because you've got this. Do you experience that kind of walk with your heavenly father? I've got this. Look how King Hezekiah responds to the people of Judah after Isaiah tells him God's got this. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. It'll be on the screen behind me. It's not in your storybooks. Hezekiah says to the people, remember the army's all around him, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. Friends, that's still good news for today. That there's a greater power with us than with them. With him is only the arm of flesh. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. He's saying with this vast army, there's just an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. I love the phrase here, the arm of flesh. It's used multiple times in the Bible. And when the Bible refers to somebody's arm, the arm of flesh, or that kind of language, they are referring to somebody's strength. And so Hezekiah is saying, he's coming with the arm of flesh. Yes, it's 185,000, well, 370,000 if you count both arms. Arms of flesh. But that's all they got because we've got the Lord. Now, a lot of times in the Bible, when it talks about the arm of flesh, it's in reference to God. Let me give you two examples. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 10, it says this. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. It's speaking to the strength of God. Here's another one that may be a little bit more familiar to you because it's been turned into a popular Christian song. Deuteronomy 26, 8 says this. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is talking about strength. And he's saying, look, God is about to demonstrate that he is the stronger one. They come at with an arm of flesh, a lot of it, but our God comes with something much stronger. And it says in 2 Chronicles 32 what God's strength looks like. And the Lord sent an angel, 
One angel, singular, not plural, an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king so he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. One Chuck Norris angel came through the camp of the Assyrians, one, and wiped out 185,000 fighting men. The, the Israelites woke up the next morning and all they saw was a sea of dead bodies. That's how strong the Lord is. And if you can see God that way, then shouldn't it change how you see everything? Some of you may be feeling right now, you walked in here today, and you're like, I've got 185,000 problems camped at my gate. And you may be feeling like, you know what, I am that little team from Hickory, Indiana. And I feel like everything against me feels like that big city school that's supposed to just mop the floor with me. I can't win. Let me encourage you today, be like Hezekiah. When the enemy was surrounding him, he went to his true source of strength. He went to God in prayer, and after he prayed, he was able to say, with, his, with him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. If you can understand God that way, then shouldn't it change the way you see everything? Well, there's plenty of application. Let me just throw two at you this morning. This is what jumps out at me from this text. The first one is this. Some of you may need to trust in the arm of the Lord. Some of you may need to trust in the arm of the Lord, His strength. You've done it your own way your whole life, and it hasn't worked out for you. You've tried to do things on your own. You haven't included God in anything. And you've said to God with your actions, I've got this. But some of you today may need to say, God, I need you to take this. I need to trust in the arm of the Lord. Second thing, some of you may need to return to the arm of the Lord. Maybe there was a time in your life where you're like, man, I am so on fire for God. I trust Him in everything. But then you got rattled then you got rattled and it's not been so sure anymore maybe some of you just need to return to the arm of the lord say no lord i trust you you've got this i trust you would all the rest of us affirm today who we believe in and who our true source of strength comes from it is the heavenly father